0: When Leanne was pregnant with our first child, I had a friend tell me, Aaron, you will discover more about God as a father by becoming a father yourself. And when I heard it, I thought, I I think I got a pretty good relationship with God. I, I think I'm good. But he was right. When I held this helpless child and took care of her, you know, feeding her, comforting her, changing dirty diapers... You know, As I did all that stuff, I began to understand my God as a father and realize just how helpless I was at times, how dependent on him I was, how much I needed God. But you know what else I learned by becoming a dad? I learned that I'm a hypocrite. I learned that I am one big hypocrite. For instance, I tell my kids that they can't have any more screen time as I continually look at my iPhone you know, I, I tell them to go play outside as I flick on the TV, or I say, "No, you can't have another bowl of ice cream" as I scoop up a little bit more for myself. I am a hypocrite, but I don't think that being a hypocrite is just a dad thing. It, maybe some of you have heard, you know, like, "Ah, oh, Christians, I can't stand them because they're just a bunch of hypocrites," and I would have to agree. They're right, but I don't think it's just dads or Christians that are hypocrites. I honestly believe that if you're human, you are a hypocrite. If you don't believe me, let's just do a little exercise. If you believe that lying in most cases is wrong, raise your hand. Okay, if you did not raise your hand, I'm gonna to have to reevaluate our friendship, okay? All right, okay, you can put those down. Now, how many of you would say that lying, or I mean, how many of you would ever admit that you have lied? Raise your hand. Okay. We have a church filled with hypocrites, all right? And if you, if you raised your hand the first time and not the second time, you just lied, and that proves my point, okay? We're all hypocrites. So why am I talking about my hypocrisy and your hypocrisy? Because today we are going to look at a character in the Bible who is a big hypocrite. He is going to claim to follow the one true God, and he's going to know that this God is merciful, full of grace. And yet when he sees this God exhibit that mercy towards others that he doesn't like, he gets mad and he's a big hypocrite. But the twist in the story is that as we look at this hypocritical character, we're actually going to discover Jesus, the only non-hypocritical person to have ever walked on this earth. And I hope that as we look at his Jonah's story, and how it points us to Jesus, it will encourage you, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, that if you're still wondering about this Jesus guy, you'll see just how wonderful he truly is. And if you've been following Jesus for a while, I hope it encourages you like never before. So as we get ready to jump into the scriptures, let's pray. So Heavenly Father, as we get ready to open up the Bible, open up these ancient words that have been around far longer than any of us have been alive, and will be here far after any of us, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to what you have to say today. That, God, this becomes less about what I have prepared to say, and it becomes more about what you need to say. Because I realize that I'm talking to a room full of people who are at various stages in their spiritual journey. Some people, that they're, they're wondering about you. They're not followers of Jesus yet. Some are new at this. Some have been following you for quite a while. Some people here today have had a rough week. There have been some arguments, there have been some stresses, there there have been some worries. Some people here have had a fantastic week. They're coming in here refreshed. And yet, Lord, I just find myself feeling inadequate to teach such a wide variety of people. That's why I just ask that you would be the one who teaches today. Your Holy Spirit would penetrate the hearts and minds of those that you have gathered. And as Jake prayed earlier, that this wouldn't be about us just coming, showing up, gathering, saying hi, and, and leaving that we would encounter the living God. And so, Father, the things in us that need to change, the hypocrisy that needs to be erased, would you just get into us today through this message and do in us what you want to do and need to do so that we become the people that you see us to be in Jesus. And I pray for anyone today that is not a follower yet, that as they look at this hypocritical character of Jonah, they would start to see themselves not just as Jonah, but see that they too need Jesus and need repentance, and he's paid it all for us. So God, help us now to come to you, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you brought a Bible with you today, whether a paper copy or a digital copy, open it up to the book of Jonah. If you're not quite sure where Jonah is, he's buried inside the minor prophets. Uh, Minor, not meaning that they're less important. Minor in that their books are a little less than the uh, major prophets, who, who tended to be very verbose and write a lot. So open up to the book of Jonah. If you don't have a Bible, any Sunday you come, feel free to pick up a paper copy off the give and grow table. If you don't own a Bible, just take one of those. We've got two different translations back there, we will find the one that would best fit you. We want you to use the scriptures to help you in following Jesus. Again, no matter where you're at in that spiritual journey. So please take one. If you've got a, a smartphone, download a Bible app. There's several free ones out there. We recommend the YouVersion app because it's got multiple translations on it. You can find one that's going to be readable and help you really begin to pursue after Jesus. So the book of Jonah, if you're not quite sure it's at, where it's at, go ahead and uh, look up there. Uh, if some of you are sitting there thinking, well. Aaron, we just did Jonah, didn't we? You would be right. One year ago, last summer, we studied the book of Jonah. We did a five-week series that we called Interrupted. We looked at the interruptions that often come into life. Because as you look at Jonah's life, there's a lot of interruptions that went on. And some of them were rather uncomfortable. So if you want to go and review, you can go back on our website, listen to those uh, messages. But better yet, rather than go back and listen to those, come join our, Sundays, uh, our, our Sunday only, uh, sorry, our summer only Sunday small group. That's a mouthful. I didn't know it, it was a tongue twister. Uh, we've been meeting uh, this summer. We've only done four lessons together just because of schedule. So today we're going to start session five. It doesn't matter if you've missed the first four. You can come hang out with some cool people. I'm going to warn you, we're all hypocrites. Uh, But come hang out with us. It's a ton of fun We've had some great discussions and just really good time of prayer Uh, We'd love to have you join us. So we're meeting at the madura's house today So if you need directions, just ask me or ask cheryl and we can uh, help you get there We meet from about 3 to 4 30 and uh, we usually have food So even if the discussion stinks, you get something yummy out of it. All right, so we'd love to have you join us um But today, we're going to look at this story of Jonah, and we're going to see how it fits into this entire series that we've been doing called His Story. How we're looking at the whole arc of the Bible and seeing how all of it points to Jesus, even this hypocritical character of Jonah. So let's meet Jonah. He's in verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, we don't really know much about his dad, Amittai. But you notice that phrase there, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. This indicates that Jonah was a prophet. Uh, We actually see Jonah back in 2 Kings chapter 14. He was a prophet during the reign of Jeroboam II. Jeroboam reigned, he was one of the longer reigning kings. He reigned for 41 years back in the 8th century BC. But when he was reigning as king of Israel, the kingdom was actually split. Israel was just the northern kingdom, Judah was the southern kingdom. And Jonah act as the prophet towards that northern kingdom of Israel. Now, if you've been listening to our, our series lately, you know that we kind of hit Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Last week we did Daniel. And a lot of those prophets were leading up to the Babylonian exile. Well, Jonah, chronologically, actually falls way before that. So even though his book, his story, is later in the Bible, chronologically, he's happening much earlier. So he's actually closer to prophets like Elijah and Elisha. He came right after Elisha, and he's before guys like Hosea and Amos and Isaiah. So we're, we're actually going way back. This is way before the Babylonian exile. But the kingdom is split and not doing so hot. Now, the book itself we don't fully know who wrote it. I suspect it was Jonah. There are details in this story where we learn things that you couldn't know otherwise without Jonah telling them. And so either he wrote it himself or he dictated it to someone. I tend to think, though, that he wrote it himself, which when you really look at the story and you see his hypocrisy, it's kind of embarrassing. Could you imagine having to write a story where you're just laying out the worst things you've done for the whole world to see, for all of history, it kind of is mind-blowing. And yet, God uses his story in a remarkable way to help draw us closer to God and ultimately point to Jesus. So keep that in mind as we read through it. All right, so let's jump into the story. Jonah chapter 1 again, starting in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. Uh, So the book starts right off with God calling Jonah to basically be like an overseas missionary. He's going to head off to another culture and go and tell them, your evil ways have come before the one true God. You must repent. Now, some people, when they get a sense that God's saying, I'm calling you to this, some people, they're weird and they say, yes. I mean, they just, like, don't hesitate. But more normal people will go, whoa, hang on. No. I mean, at least that was my response when I sensed God saying, I want you to leave your church and go to another city that I'll show you later, and I want you to plant a new church. My initial response was, no. Like, I, I like my city. I like my church. I like the situation for my family. I, I don't want to do this. So let's see how Jonah responds when God calls him. Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. I think Jonah said no, all right? In fact, he doesn't just say no. He goes to extreme measures to say no. Like, Nineveh from Israel would be up to the northeast. He starts heading directly west. You would have to cross land to go to Nineveh. He decides, I'm going to hop on a ship and go across water. I mean, he went the absolute opposite he possibly could go that's a clear no. Let's see how God responds. Does he just let him go, or does he kind of bring some coercion? Verse four, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So God sends a storm, and the waves begin tossing the ship like a ping-pong ball. If, If you keep reading there in chapter one, you see the sailors start freaking out. And, and, and it means the storm has to be pretty big. I mean, sailors, they've experienced storms out on the water. But these guys, they start throwing everything they can off uh, off the boat. So they're getting rid of their cargo to get their ship as light as possible so that it can get up on top of the waves because they don't want it down in the water where now it can be more likely to get crushed. So they're throwing everything off and it's not working. They're still fearing for their lives. And there comes this point where they're telling Jonah, pray to your God. And eventually it comes out that, well, Jonah worships the God who created the heavens and the earth, including the waters. And and in those ancient mindsets, they saw different gods as having different roles and even being over different regions. So when they find out that Jonah serves the God who created the heavens and the earth, including the waters, they suddenly realize, Jonah, you're a fool. You can't escape the presence of your God because, If he created the land, then your God's over that land. If he created the waters, your God's over that waters. This is your fault. Jonah admits, yeah, it is. And the only way that this is going to end is if you throw me overboard. Now, now the sailors are actually kind. They don't want to do that. So they keep trying to throw other things overboard. Nothing's working. So they finally give up. They're like, okay, we don't want to do this. You told us to do it. It's on you here's what happens. Skip all the way over to verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Like that. They throw him overboard. He hits the water. All of a sudden, the wind stops. The waves, they start to calm. Maybe the the clouds all of a sudden begin to part. The sailors are just stunned. What in the world just happened? And they realized, this God is truly the God of the heavens and the earth. And they begin to worship him. But poor Jonah, he's a human buoy. He's just floating around out there in the water. And God's got to kind of get him back if he's going to go to Nineveh. So God provides some transportation. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I, I have some friends that would read a verse like that, and they would say, well, this is just a story. It's like fiction. They, there really wasn't a fish that swallowed him. Well, in a little bit, we're going to see Jesus refer to this story. And so for me, if Jesus acts like this is real, I'm just going to go with it. I, it. I know it seems ludicrous of a fish swallowing a human hole, but Jesus goes with it, so I'm going to go with it. So we're just going to say, okay, he got swallowed by a great fish. Now, whether it's a big fish or a whale, we're not going to get into that big argument. But he gets swallowed by a fish, and which means he was trying to run from God on top of the water, and God brings him back under the water. Now chapter 2 records a prayer from uh, Jonah, and as soon as he says amen, the fish vomits Jonah up onto shore. I'm sure that was a wonderful experience. He gets up on shore, and then this happens. Skip over to chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. God is giving Jonah a second chance. This is mercy. Throughout this His Story series, we've been seeing that the penalty for sin is death. And Jonah clearly disobeyed God. He hops on a ship. He runs the opposite way. I am not going to those Ninevites. I'm not telling them to repent. He runs. And God, rather than kill him, rather than leave him inside the belly of a fish, lets him live. And then says, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them about me. Why did Jonah run in the first place? Is it because he just really didn't want to go? Or maybe it was something about Nineveh. You see, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It was the, I guess you could say it, the New York City of its day. It was big, it was powerful, it was educated. Now, some of us would be thinking, well, man, a visit to New York, that kind of sounds cool. You know, taking a, a Broadway show, you know, go to the Times Square, you know, check it all out. But imagine God calls you to go to New York, stand in the middle of it, and start preaching. Uh, okay, yeah, maybe, man, that sounds a little weird, God. I don't know that I really want to do that because you know that if you stood out there preaching to people on a street corner, most people are going to ignore you, a few people are going to laugh at you, some are going to outright mock you, and maybe some will even throw stuff at you. You wouldn't exactly want to do it, would you? But when you start realizing that the Assyrians were famous for their cruelty, they weren't just the New- by their size and culture, they were the New York of their day, but by their behavior, they were the ISIS of their day. Last week, when we were looking at the book of Daniel, we we saw some of the Babylonian culture. We talked about it just uh, uh, briefly. The Babylonians, when they would expand their empire and take over another nation, they would look for the best of the best. That's why Daniel, a young Jewish boy, ends up as kind of one of the leaders within the Babylonian government. You take the best and the brightest, you enculturate them, and you incorporate them into your culture. But the Assyrians wouldn't do that. The Assyrians figured if we came and conquered your nation, we had to prove that we were so superior that they would wipe everything out. They were absolutely cruel. And so in Jonah's mind, when God says the first time, go to Nineveh, it doesn't just mean embarrassment, mockery. It might mean his death. And yet God calls him a second time, go to Nineveh. So is he going to go? Look at it, verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. God has shown him mercy. And so he responds, I'll go. And he heads off to the city. Now, the the rest of verse 3 there tells us that Nineveh was so large that it would take you three days to walk across. So I want you to notice what Jonah does in verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. So he doesn't just stand at the gates, start yelling, someone gets mad and take off running. No, he walks into the city and goes a day's journey in, like it's right into the heart of the city. And he starts saying this, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I want you to realize just how ludicrous this is. Jonah, a Jewish prophet Believes that there's one true God, and that this God is over all of heaven and earth. And he walks into a city that believes in multiple gods. One of their gods was Assur; he, he was the god of war. That's where they get some of their name, Assyria. That they, they this is why they were so cruel as they worshipped this god. Another one of the gods was Ishtar, a goddess of sex, love, war. Another god, Dagon, he was a fish god, and they considered him over their agriculture, and so they wanted to keep him really happy, because then he would give them good crops. And and so they had, and this is just three, they had more gods. And so imagine you're walking into a a, a pluralistic society like this, where they believe in all these different gods, and you're saying, yeah, but my one god, he's going to destroy your city in 40 days. These people, they're cruel. You would think that they would just kill this an annoying jewish prophet throw his body outside the city and just keep going about their ways but that's actually not what happens look at verse five here's the response to his preaching and the people of nineveh believed god and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them and the word reached the king of nineveh and he arose from his throne removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Unbelievable. These cruel, selfish, evil people repent because of the word of this one singular Jewish prophet who tells them that the one true God will destroy your city in 40 days if you don't change your ways. Now, you would think that would be an amazing moment. You'd think Jonah would just be, like, dumbstruck. But here's what happens. Verse 10. When God saw what they, the Ninevites, did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God gave these evil, cruel, arrogant, selfish people mercy. Mercy it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Here's Jonah. God says, go to Nineveh, preach to them. He says, no, he disobeys. Why? Because he's arrogant. He thinks he's better than the Ninevites because they're these evil, cruel, horrible people, but he's a Jew. He knows the one true God. So he's better than them. He's selfish. He doesn't want to go and get killed by these evil, cruel people. So he takes off running. I mean, he makes it all about him. And now, when he goes, actually preaches to them, and they repent of their evil ways, and God gives them mercy, just like God gave him mercy, Jonah gets mad. Look at it in chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, listen to this, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. There's his hypocrisy. It was great when, you know, Jonah disobeys, runs off, God shows mercy and brings him back. But man, when God shows them mercy no way why would why would you do that for them he's a hypocrite he claims to follow the one true god he likes it when he receives mercy but when that one true god decides to give mercy to someone else someone who doesn't follow their way, the jewish ways someone who, who's been cruel and evil may, maybe as they've expanded their kingdom maybe jonah knows some of the stories and yet when god gives them mercy he gets mad if you continue on with chapter 4, Jonah ends up going up on top of a hill that overlooks the city. And he's sitting there waiting, just hoping that God would rain like sulfur or fire down or just drop a big meteor right on the city, wipe these people out. You know, atomic bomb, boom, watch, watch the cloud, and then he can go home happy. But God doesn't do it. And Jonah ends up mad because he's a hypocrite. And the twist in the story that it's right here where we see Jesus. Not not because Jonah is some righteous character, obviously not, but because Jesus himself points out that he is the true and better Jonah. If if you know where the book of Matthew is, feel free to turn right now to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Um, What what is happening here in Matthew 12, to put it into context, we're going to go to the verse 38. Before this, Jesus heals someone who had been possessed by a demon. And the Jewish leaders at the time, they've been really, really bothered by Jesus. I mean, he's been performing these miracles, I mean, healing people, feeding people. He teaches in in a a very different way. Like, he teaches with incredible authority, almost as if he wrote the book. He he did. But, you know, it's like he wrote it, he teaches with authority, and, and yet he didn't go through their school system exactly like them. And so they feel threatened by him. So they're trying to figure out, what do we do with this Jesus guy, this Jesus of Nazareth? And so when they see him cast a demon out of someone, they start murmuring to each other, he does it by the power of Satan. And Jesus says, oh, guys, come on, think about this, all right? If I'm filled with Satan, why would Satan throw out another demon? Like, Satan wants to expand his kingdom, and so he would want a demon to be in someone else. No, no, that doesn't work. No, I am not filled with a demon. I am from God. And so they decide to question him, and that's where we pick it up in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. All right, so they've accused him of being filled with the spirit of Satan. He's like, uh, guys, that, that doesn't work. So they're like, oh, okay, then prove to us you're from God. Give us a sign. Well, he's already been healing. He's already you know, fed people. He's, he's done all these miracles already. And the way he teaches, that should be enough to reveal that he's from God. But no, in the moment, they demand a sign. It's almost like they're trying to turn Jesus into their slave, okay? Then do a sign. Like, they're trying to command him what to do. Jesus responds, verse 39. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. When Jesus says something greater than Jonah is here, what he's saying is that I, Jesus of Nazareth, am the true and better Jonah. And he gives us in this passage two parallels that proves that he's the true and better Jonah. The first one is there in verse 40. It's when he points out that Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. He then says that he will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. This is a prophecy of his death and resurrection. Now, all of you right now could become prophets who have a 100% track record. All you have to do is predict that you will die someday. All right, And I'm going to guarantee you will be right. Okay, Because last time I checked, the mortality rate was still at 100%. Okay, so all of you will die. So if you want to, right now, okay, yeah, I prophesy right now. I'm going to die someday. Okay, yeah, you're, you're going to be correct. All right, just stop right there. If you try and to do anything else, you'll probably be proven a false prophet. But Jesus was not a false prophet because he not only says, I will die, I will be put into the belly of the earth, but he would only be there for three days. And according to the way Jews count up days, that's exactly how it happened. Because it was on a Friday that he was crucified He lay in that tomb on a Saturday, and then on a Sunday, he came out. He was there for three days. But I think, as Jesus points out, that just as Jonah was in the whale for three days, likewise, he would be in the belly of the earth for three days. I think there's some more within this. For instance, the suffering. Imagine Jonah in the water, floating up and down, and that fish comes and swallows him up whole. Now imagine the three day journey back. It would have been dark. He probably couldn't breathe. I, I really doubt the air was very fresh in there. So he, there was probably a struggle for oxygen. It, he's probably groping around in the dark and probably has no idea what he's touching. So I suspect he didn't eat anything. And it was all salt water. He probably couldn't have had anything to drink. He would have been absolutely miserable. And now look at Jesus on a cross. When Jesus is there, he's not eating. He even at one point displays, I'm thirsty. And, and they go to give him a drink. And as soon as it gets up to his lips, he realizes that it's this gall, this wine that, that would like, help take away some of the pain. So he actually turns his head from it and refuses to take the drink, even though he's thirsty. Just like Jonah's in the dark, the sky gets dark when Jesus is on the cross. It began to really freak people out with what was happening in nature. But then also, did you know that when a guy got hung on a cross, it wasn't that he died from just like blood loss. He actually died of suffocation. Because the way that they would hang them, it would collapse you in on yourself. And you just couldn't get breath in. You couldn't get oxygen. So what they would do is they'd push up on the nail that was in their feet, causing excruciating pain to come up their legs. But just so they could, and then they'd collapse back down. That's why when the soldiers got tired of waiting, they would just go and break the guy's legs because then he couldn't push up anymore. And most people, when they died on a cross, they actually died of suffocation. Jesus couldn't get air on the cross, just like Jonah. But now I want you to look at the whole story from the sailor's point of view. They throw Jonah into the water, and they see him floating there. Now, the text does not record this, all right? So I'm just wanting you to know that this next part, it's all just conjecture. But I want you to imagine what it would be like if you saw him get swallowed by a fish and he's taken off. In their mind, they just saw this storm instantly stop, and now the guy gets swallowed and down he goes. They would think his God just judged him. He's dead. He's gone. It's over. But but now these guys, they were supposed to go to Tarshish. They probably had cargo. And they threw all of it overboard trying to save themselves in the storm. So they got nothing. So why even continue on? So let's just imagine that they turn the ship around and they head back. Maybe it's to get more supplies. Maybe it's to load back up, tell what happened. And so it takes them a while to get back. And as they're docked, they're loading up the ship. All of a sudden, there's some commotion. There's a stirring in the water. And all of a sudden, this huge fish comes up and just pukes on the shore. And out tumbles this guy. I think they would have freaked out. Because in their mind, this guy was dead. And now he's there on the shore, a mess, but alive. Now Jesus did not just faint. He did not just fall asleep. He truly was dead. In fact, just to make sure, one of the Roman soldiers took a spear and jabbed it up in his side, piercing his heart. And it says that water and blood flowed out. As we pointed out last week as we looked at the story of Daniel, that, medical science says, was an indication that Jesus had already been dead when they pierced him. He was dead. Jesus had no tomb. So Joseph of Arimathea, one of the members of the Sanhedrin, who believed Jesus truly was the Messiah from God, paid to have him put in his own tomb. And when they rolled that stone away in, in front of it, that was it. It was done. And yet three days later, some women go into the tomb to finish up the, the preparations to honor Jesus. Find the tombstone rolled away. and Jesus wasn't there. He came out alive. And Jesus says, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, he isn't just prophesying his death, that his body would be put into the earth. He was also prophesying his resurrection because he wouldn't stay there. He came out alive. He's the true and better Jonah. But Jesus gives us a second parallel, and it's there in verse 41. Did you notice how he says to these Jewish leaders that the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment of this generation? Why? Because Jonah was sent to Nineveh to tell them to repent. And Jesus is saying, likewise, I have come to tell people to repent. This week, as I was working on my message, um, I found a a pastor that had done a message on Jonah. And in his message, he was making the parallel that we are like Jonah. And he had a good point. I mean, we're hypocrites like Jonah. But also, Jonah clearly did not love the Ninevites. He did not care for them the way God did. If you continue on to chapter, the, through chapter four, you see this amazing heart that God has for the people of Nineveh. Even though they were cruel, even though they worshiped false gods, he loved them. But Jonah didn't. And this guy's point in his message was that we're kind of like Jonah. We, we truly don't love others the way God loves them. But as I was studying this, this week, I started realizing that If Jonah's life is supposed to help point to Jesus, like Jesus is saying here in Matthew 12, then that means here in verse 41 that we are like the Ninevites. Now, don't don't be offended. I'm not saying that you're cruel, evil people who kill people who disagree with you, okay? But if if that was the case, I probably wouldn't feel comfortable right now. No, you're not like that. But yet, if you're honest, without Jesus... You have moments of anger where you've thought some really cruel, evil stuff. You've wanted to hurt someone. There have been moments in life where you've been very, very selfish. There have been moments when you've wanted the attention and you may not make it known, and yet you're mad, you're upset because you haven't gotten the gift you wanted, you haven't gotten the attention you wanted. You're, in a sense, revealing your arrogance, your selfishness. We're a lot more like the Ninevites than we may want to admit. And yet, Jesus came for us because he's the true and better Jonah. But here's the thing Jonah went to Nineveh and preached to them. He didn't love them. He went up on top of a hill to try and watch them get destroyed. Jesus came to preach repentance and then went up on a hill and was destroyed himself for us. He took the punishment that was due to us. Jonah deserved death for his sin. The Ninevites deserved death for their sin. We deserve death for our sin. And yet God did not give us justice. He gave us mercy. And he took the justice upon himself so that we could be free. That is why Jesus is the true and better Jonah. So if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. You probably don't realize, because I know I don't, just how serious sin is. It is a grave mistake. It separates us from our God. And the Bible teaches over and over and over the penalty for that sin, no matter how small, is death. But God loved us so much, even Ninevites like us that Jesus came to not only preach about the kingdom of God, but to create the entrance into the kingdom of God. And by going and paying the penalty for us, God gives us mercy and invites us into his family. And so I want to invite you into the family of God. It's not just coming into being part of the Riverwood Church family, it's bigger than that. It's coming to be part of God's family. When you place your faith in Jesus, everything changes spiritually. The Bible teaches us that we are spiritually dead without Christ. But when we put our faith in Christ, we become spiritually alive. We go from being separated from our God to being a son or a daughter. We become adopted by God. It it all changes. We are no longer going to be eternally separated from God. We will be eternally with him. He puts his Holy Spirit into us so that we not only have our lives changed and our relationship with him restored, but he begins to change us from the inside out so that we can go and be a blessing to others. So I invite you, will you give your life to Jesus? Because he gave his life for you. I also realize that a number of you made a decision like that a while ago. Some of you, it was years ago. Some of you, it was just a, a few months ago. But you've made a decision to say yes to Jesus and following him. But yet, for honest, we are sometimes like Jonah. We sometimes just get, we may have good theology like Jonah, but we don't follow God the way we are called to. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see his gospel. I'll, I'll confess, sometimes when I hear a story over and over and over, it doesn't quite penetrate me the same way. If that's you, I just want to encourage you call out to God. And ask him to just continue to help you see Jesus, to rip away that which is not like him and let his Holy Spirit and power and love penetrate your heart and mind. Because I believe that God wants to restore you into the image of Jesus so that you will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. There is a world out there that desperately needs this message. There are a bunch of Ninevites living in their hypocrisy, not knowing that they need the one true God. And they need you to come and love them through your actions, through your presence, through your words. And it isn't just coming in and blindly preaching like a Jonah. It's coming in and being like Christ and giving your life for them. It starts in your home. It starts at work. It starts in your neighborhood. Just wherever you're going, will you go and be a blessing to others? They need it, and God is sending you. That is why if this story is not penetrating you any longer, then ask God to make it fresh just because you've heard it once doesn't mean you truly, fully understand it. May this be like a diamond that just because you've seen it from one angle doesn't mean you can't continue to see the beauty from another angle. May you just continue to turn this gospel diamond and see it new and afresh and see new colors and new ways and appreciate the beauty and power of it. And let that story then penetrate you so that it will flow out of you and it will change the world. Let's pray. Father, we just say thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending to us the one and only begotten Son who came in like a Jonah to preach repentance, but he didn't stop there. He didn't long for our destruction. Instead, he longed to save us. That's why he went and endured a cross. It's why he allowed his body to be put into an earth for three days. It's why he went through all of that pain and all of that suffering so that our sin could be paid for. You are a just God. You demand justice. And yet it was fulfilled in Jesus. You let him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that your full wrath could come against him. And then when we put our faith in the story, you change everything about us. So that's why right now, God, I just pray for anyone that's here today that has never made Jesus the center of their life, bowing their knee before you in their heart, putting you first, saying yes. I pray, Father, right now that they would hear your call and that that as they're praying right now, that they would just express to you confession of their sin, acknowledging that they had not lived a perfect life, that they are in need of you. And recognizing that you, Jesus, have paid all the penalty. There's nothing that they now need to do. They just can come to you and accept your embrace and accept your love. Despite our Ninevite tendencies, you love us. You embrace us. You say, you are my child. So God, I just pray that right now they would accept that. And they would make you their Lord, their King, their leader. Pray for my brothers and sisters in the faith who've said yes to Jesus long ago, and yet the story is just not central. It's, it's not penetrating their heart and mind. It's not their motivation. There's still too much selfishness. There's still a little bit of arrogance. There, there's still evil tendencies. We are hypocrites, God. Would you just mold us and shape us to be more like Jesus so that we are not hypocritical, that we become those agents of love and change that you call us to? That we would see our marriages become something amazing and awesome, everything we've hoped it to be. That we would see our parenting to be something incredible. That we would see our work relationships go into new directions. That we would see our extended relationships and friendships in our neighborhoods, our extended family, just go deeper because we are being those change agents. We are loving, and it isn't becoming about us. It's becoming about Jesus and what you want to do in them. So that's why, God, we just ask for you to do a deep work in us I believe you want to do a great work through us. And so right now, I just pray that you'd help each and every person, no matter where they're at in their spiritual journey, no matter how hard their heart has been, you would just soften each of us and we would just come before you and we would thank you, Jesus, the true and better Jonah. And it's in his name we pray.